0: The entire Wide Awake Stories team and everyone here at the Insomniac office is still reeling from the tragedy in Las Vegas. Music festivals are a place where you can escape the trials and trivialities of work and life. The music and that magical shared experience strengthens the human bonds between us. This should be among our most beautiful memories, not our worst nightmares. This episode of Wide Awake Stories was recorded this past weekend, before we all woke up to the horrible news on Monday. We grieve with the families of those who were lost, and we're ever grateful to all the brave people who stood by their fellow humans to help, comfort, and protect them. Thanks for listening.
1: Welcome to Wide Awake Stories from Insomniac.
2: Here's oh, a little story I got to tell about
3: three you know so well. Welcome to the Church of What's This is a journey by... A journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new value. And a new experience. <laughs> journey, <laughs> journey, <laughs>
1: Broadcasting from the Insomniac
4: HQ, this is Wide Awake Stories.
0: Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 13 of Wide Awake Stories. Lucky number 13, of course. I'm here in the studio with Dr. Rob Seamus. Hello, hello. Mr. John Ochoa. Surgeon Donald Jill. <laughs> is that a title? An anesthesiologist, no. Sam Yu.
4: <laughs>
5: Very sleepy. <laughs> That's true. How you doing, Monica?
1: I'm okay. I'm making urgent updates to the EDC Las Vegas website as we speak. So pardon me if I start to speak gibberish. <laughs> Mad amounts
0: of traffic to the EDC Las Vegas site. As you all know, we are on sale for EDC Las Vegas 2018. Uh, I'm going. You'll, you'll be there. I'll, I'll, I'll be, there. be there. Will you be there? <laughs> clearly. And I'm talking to the listeners now. Clearly, everyone will be there.
5: Well, Maybe. <laughs> Have you heard about this whole end of the world thing? I mean, it was supposed to go away on September 23rd. Apparently things have been rescheduled.
0: Gotcha. I didn't get a calendar reminder though.
5: Set your calendar. (laughs) October 13th, it's all. Oh, he moved it to the 13th. Of course, because it didn't happen. So he's got to move it back. Isn't that Friday the 13th? 13th? That's
2: too obvious.
5: Dun, dun, dun. Is it Friday?
0: It's Friday the 13th. That's marketing right there. Yeah, it's a little little too obvious. I think that's marketing. Monica, what's going on in New York right now? Is is the weather changed, are the are the fall foliages coming down, or what?
1: No, it's just summer forever. I like summer, so it's kind of cool. But yeah, no, I'm sure it'll turn on us like the fickle bitch that it is. <laughs> Any moment now, <laughs> I'm sure.
5: I got a little New York and LA this weekend. I went to uh, the Broad Summer Nights. They had their closing party, and it was pretty awesome, man. It was a Basquiat show, and they did a whole series this summer. They did Andy Warhol. They did Takashi Murakami. And the closing weekend, they had Basquiat,
0: and they had a couple really rad acts. Here's what I did over the weekend. I trimmed the hedges in my backyard. (laughs) That's a euphemism. I pruned the roses (laughs) in the front yard. No, none of these are euphemisms. Also. And I didn't go to the gym. Not a euphemism. That's definitely a euphemism. Hey, you want to not go to the gym this weekend? That's like what I tell my wife every Hey, you want to not go to the gym? Want to sit on the couch and eat chili con queso all night?
4: Yes. Yes. The answer is always Yes. yes.
1: Welcome to Wide Awake Stories.
0: We have an amazing show lined up for you. It's a little bit of a throwback show. Uh, I sit down with Mr. Pete Tong, the one and only, to discuss his upcoming Ibiza Classics show at the Hollywood Bowl. You double-dipped this show. I, I did, and then I bounced over to the rooftop of the Standard Downtown to chat with the Brothers Hartnall. Please tell me you wore your glasses. I did bring my glasses. You didn't um, wear them, though, did you? I. I it was daytime. Okay. They, weren't, they wouldn't have been as impactful. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, when I say the Brothers Hartnall, I am referring referring to the one and only Orbital. They are back together. They played the Electronic Music Awards. They've been doing a host of gigs all over Europe. And uh, they are back and better than ever. And they've healed their wounds. You got to explain the glasses though, right? Um, Just Google Orbital. (laughs) I'll I'll save you all. (laughs) We got an hour. (laughs) Google it. Sam, you
5: caught up with some people at Nocturnal and talked to them about their first DJ gig, right?
2: Correct, yeah. I chased down uh, Billy Kenny, Will Clark, and Cut Snake to get the details on how their first DJ gig went down way back when. But
4: let's kick things off with my interview with Troy Boy. We caught up at the Hollywood Palladium right before he took the stage on his Left is Right tour and talked about his brand new album. I want to start off by talking about your new album, Left Right, which, when I listen to is all over the place in the best way possible. You know, there's trap, bass music, grime, R&B. Do you find it challenging to switch between so many sounds in one project? So with my left is right album I felt
6: I had to show my listeners what I was really sort of capable of as a producer and I know a lot of the listeners of my music have really kind of taken a liking to sort of the trap fused stuff but those listeners might not necessarily know that I could make house music or R&B or any kind of mixed genre stuff which I ended up putting in the album so I really wanted to use this album as just a showcase for my sound what I could do as a producer if you haven't heard or if you've heard stuff from me before maybe a different route or a different sound I've created and just to introduce people to what I could really do
4: was there any song on the album that was the most difficult to produce maybe a sound that you hadn't really quite yet explored or perfected yet I just wanted to make
6: music and I think whatever the best sounds that I came up with I just ended up putting on the album I actually made at least about 35 to forty tracks and then whittled
4: it down to like twenty. It was very tough. Even even twenty is a lot of tracks, you know. Was it always your mission to remain so genreless, so to speak, so experimental, or did that come about as you began to create more and more and discover your sound? I've always wanted to be very experimental with my music and
6: since i come from quite a, a mixed heritage background i definitely owe that to the influence in my sound especially when it comes to like the world's music and the world influences in my music I, again like to have this album and have it done in the way it was was completely intentional
4: much like your music your background is quite diverse you know you're british born you're of nigerian chinese indian and portuguese descent sure. The all of them. <laughs> Is it important for you to reflect your culture in your music and in your sound? It's absolutely important for me to like
6: reflect my culture in my music because it's me. My music is like an extension of me and it's definitely part of my story which I try to communicate. But through music, Like a lot of rappers can say their story through the lyrics but I say mine through sounds, through timbres, through instruments, and that is, you know, when you hear a track with perhaps like a Hindi vocal, or you know, that's definitely me reaching into my cultural heritage from India and paying homage to them, whereas I might put some like African influenced drums in my tracks and that's again paying homage to my African roots. Again, I just, I love to play with that idea and and personally, like, I think that the best music does come from like world music and real instruments, so I
4: i take pleasure in doing that so did you grow up with these world sounds around you or did you just dis- discover them on your own It was a mixture of both to be honest
6: but i would definitely say that it all roots through like or stems through my parents i mean especially with the indian influence stuff like i mean as a, as a child i used to watch hundreds of bollywood movies with my mom and anyone who watches Bollywood movies will know like there's tons of songs in one movie. So if you can imagine maybe nine songs times a hundred movies or 200 movies, and that's me absorbing all of that kind of music. And again, I'll use Indian music as an example. There's so many different types of emotions that are expressed, especially. And I think the chords, progressions, especially from world music is something that's completely and always like interested me. As I grew older, through those little ideas, I it upon myself to kind of
4: explore a bit more into world music and just take it from there. In my opinion, world music has the best samples waiting to be discovered, especially Bollywood. (laughs) The riffs, the
6: textures. I mean, for me, I, I love string Im- instruments, and that's I think the most heavily used like in- instruments in like Bollywood music in-, in general. I'm a sucker for world music, straight up.
4: Would you say there's a way to classify the Troy Boy sound? Ooh, that's the tough, tough one. one. It's <laughs> a very tricky question.
6: I think you'll know a Troy Boy track when you hear the traditional swing. I don't know. I think if you hear something pretty unusual, something. Very very muddled and mixed, it's probably me.
4: Are there any sounds you haven't yet explored that you hope to one day experiment with? Absolutely. I would love to, and I have already
6: experimented with Latin music, uh, reggaeton. I've actually made a, a pretty cool track, which I should be actually releasing very, very soon. And it's like a mixture of the Latin reggaeton vibes mixed with trap and hip hop. I can't wait to release that. And that has always been something, and especially the fact that I moved to Miami, I hear reggaeton every single second of the day. Couldn't get rid of Despacito, <laughs> so if anything, yeah, that's that's definitely one thing which I've been
4: wanting to like explore on. I think we could definitely thank Despacito and people like Diplo for opening up people's ears to Latin sounds, and now Troy Boy to opening up sounds beyond the bass line. Since the beginning, your music has always straddled the worlds of electronic music and hip hop. You know, there's a lot of trap-heavy beats in your sound. On Leftist Right, you even have a song with the one and only Ice Cube, which is mega. Any plans on doing a full-length hip-hop album? I would absolutely love
6: to the thing with me it's it's all good you making the beats but You know, to truly make a hip hop track you're a rapper don't you it's very hard I'll be honest with you it's very very hard to go to a rapper and say hey do you want to jump on a track and I'm not really that kind of guy who likes to pester people and stuff so I would absolutely love to so if any rappers are hearing this hit me up
4: man I would love to get some rappers on my tracks Left is Right is also special because it's your message to the industry a sort of musical manifesto to the world can you explain the meaning behind Left is Right for me anyway My music has
6: always kind of been considered as left of center, definitely different. But then I've always said whether it's left or center, in my head it's right, you know, it might seem left to you but it's right to me so it was also like a play on words but then also it definitely represents you or the individual myself staying in their own lane doing what you love doing and you can still get to the end goal you don't have to follow the traditional route like anyone else you can be you and still get to the top i've really wanted to display what i could do as a producer and not necessarily take the commercial route with the traditional song structures you know have every song with them with a feature on it or have stuff which sounds like it's super pop-friendly or things like that, just so I could make my name or to break it into the charts. For me, it was never about that. It's always has been about what I can do, what I've made and thank goodness what i've been doing has resonated with many many people this is an homage to them
4: you're pretty deep into your left is right tour it goes all the way through december you're going to europe you're a busy guy how do you see the left is right show as an extension of the album what i love about
6: this show and this tour is that people have heard the music but my left is right tour is gonna bring the music to life and that's always been my goal as much as you're gonna come to see me and listen to the music I want to make it a complete unique experience which is why I have brought so many different aspects and surprises to my show and it's definitely not the traditional thing that you're gonna see when you see other DJs say they're gonna go on tour like you might just see them behind the deck and that's just it they're gonna play a set but with me in this show it's all original music and it's is a show It is a performance it's it's something different and something new so it's more like an audience with troy boy but on a crazier level so i would urge anybody who hasn't seen any of my live shows or any of like my all original shows to come to this left is right tour because it's what i've always wanted to do and how i've always wanted my music to be seen and to be
4: heard For whatever reason, you want to keep yourself even busier, which you're doing now with your new label, T-Dot Music. What can you tell our listeners about T-Dot Music and what kinds of sounds are going to come out? So, yes, my new label, T-Dot Music, I've just launched that. And, of course, I
6: put my my own album, Left Is Right, on there. That should definitely give the listeners or anyone who hears about T-Dot Music that is the starting point is my album if you hear the eclecticness of that it's gonna be I'm gonna be signing artists just as eclectic, if not more eclectic. I'm even looking to to sign and introduce people to more musicians in the sense of, not necessarily like a singer or producer, I might sign a classical sitar player. People like that, but something more interesting. I wanna take things to the next level for me and also have the flexibility to put out music, which might not necessarily mean or be commercial, they could have it on my label. I like to have things with edge and um, T-Dot Music is definitely going to have the edge.
4: I know you're a hard-working guy and I know you're already thinking about your next project. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what... Oh, yeah. How far are you on your next project? Or what can you... What kinds of, what kinds of exclusives can you give us here? How about this? Well, the next project, I am
6: four out of six tracks deep. So once I've completed the final two tracks with this project I'm doing, um, that will be the next thing on T-Dot Music. Like I said, when I made the album, I had, I think, over 35 tracks to choose from. So obviously those 15 tracks are still there. I'm still creating more music. I want to work with more artists. Eventually, I want to start my own festival as well. That's another thing I'm looking to do. So that's I mean, But other than that, yeah, the music and everything is all going to be consistently done as the boy normally does. Broadcasting from the
4: Insomniac HQ.
6: This is Wide Awake Stories.
2: What's up, guys? It's Preston. It's about to be the sickest thing you're ever going to listen to. Wide Awake Stories. We're going to play a lot of My Chemical Romance, and that's it. Stay tuned for the pet. John, what was he like in the dressing
5: room? I'm curious if he was like stressed out or if he was chill and relaxed or like what was the vibe?
4: dude was in sweats (laughs) super comfortable he sounds very uh british
0: (laughs) he's really great i could listen him read the phone book he's got a very nice uh sort of cadence accent i'd like to watch him read the phone book
4: (laughs) oh did i say that out loud monica's
0: catching feelings So what's up with the show today? All the English people and... Yeah, Pete Tong, a Brit. We chatted about his uh, Ibiza Classics show that they're now bringing to the Hollywood Bowl that they've brought to many other locations around the world and got an amazing response. Um, He gave me a little bit of a sneak peek at some of the tracks that uh, they'll be performing that they haven't performed before. So obviously, I I don't know if I can tell you all, but uh, you won't want to miss it. It's going to be a pretty amazing show to see classical reinterpretations of some of these amazing historic electronic tracks that you've heard so many times in their original fashion but really never done this way it's a really cool thing that he's doing
2: Artist
7: Relations. Hi I'm Pete Tong just to tell you a little bit about the classics project the Ibiza classics project it all started in 2015 a couple of years ago I got invited to curate a, a prom, which is in England is um, it's a famous series of classical concerts that have been going on for a hundred years at the Royal Albert Hall. Um, they wanted to contemporize the the appeal of the Proms concerts. These these concerts uh, they run for a month actually in the summer every year. So they approached BBC Radio One. BBC Radio 1 talked to me and asked if I'd like to pick up the baton and, um, and run with the idea. It happened to be the 20th anniversary of me taking Radio 1 to Ibiza and broadcasting from there. So we thought we'd make a, a special kind of week of, of programming to celebrate the fact we have been doing that. And uh, what better way than um, to do a kind of classical concert at the Royal Albert Hall, um, playing all... all you know the seminal tunes from you know that kind of people remember from Ibiza, so it took me about six months to get it all together. I got introduced to the Heritage Orchestra and to Jules Buckley um, through mutual friends' recommendations. Um, so we start working on this thing together. It was, it was quite a bizarre blind date because I'd not done anything like it before, and I um, although their reputation preceded them. I hadn't worked with um, the Heritage Orchestra before, so... And it's funny, I mean, so basically the way, the way it works is I, I pick the music and um, then I work on the arrangements with, you know, and how we're going to do it. And for six months, like, everything's happening... Um, you know, with phone conversations, emails, um, but you're not hearing anything because the guys are actually writing. You know, Jules was write, writing out all the parts for the orchestra, um, so it, there was a lot of imagining going on. So it's a bit nerve wracking until you don't really get to hear anything till the day before in the rehearsal because it's so expensive and it's you know logistical nightmare to get all these people together. So, um, but the concert went ahead. It was an, an amazing success. Uh, fortunately, it was filmed beautifully by the BBC and. We, we, we had a real huge social media swell after the event and everyone was asking us. If we were going to do it again, but they were dead, but there was no plans at that time, it was just this one event. But such was the demand. We eventually put some shows on sale last year. So we did three arena shows at the end of last year, like 18,000 people at the O2 sold them out in a day. Um, sold at Manchester Arena and Birmingham Arena, and we we made an album to kind of commemorate the fact the one this one's sitting here, um, that we were getting back together again and doing this. And then off the momentum from last year was. Was such that the album really connected. It went kind of double gold in the UK. Went to number one in the pop chart, which is quite unprecedented for something like that. And then rolling into this year, we've been able to do we got we got a program of um, 15, 16 shows, which included our first festival run um, in the UK and Ireland, which I've just finished. We went to Ibiza for the first time, kind of taking the story back to its spiritual home, which was amazing. Um, we made a film about that. As well, um, and then we're we're going to Australia for the first time, and um, we're back in the UK for five arenas this time, which which again we've sold out, which is uh, we've, we're just finishing this week the second album, and I guess we're here to talk about the fact that it was somehow someone had the crazy idea of bringing it to the Hollywood Bowl. So on the 9th of November, um, which is quite poignant now because I'm a resident here in America, and so this is yeah it's a hometown gig at the Hollywood Bowl, which is quite bizarre.
0: How much sleep did you lose over deciding which tracks to select? Because <laughs> I can't even imagine what the process was like. I mean, your classics, and then there's what other people view as the classics. How did you go about the track selection for the program?
7: For the first show, it was um, it was kind of, it was like 50% diplomacy and and, and 50% um, kind of uh, me me being a kind of Svengali. So I, I actually asked, I kind of pulled all my con- Colleagues at Radio One that were involved in the Ibiza story, both behind the scenes and DJs, as to what they thought. And then I had my own ideas as to what I thought. And initially, we had seven, I'll tell you a funny story, we had 70, a 75, 70 minute slot to fill. That's what we were given, I think, 75 minutes. And, um, <laughs> it seems mad now but i had this idea that we were going to do each track for a minute so we had 70 75 tunes they laughed at me like the orchestra or the jewels particularly just said that's absolutely impossible because i literally have to write out the parts for 65 players and it would take me 5 years to do that many so that got we basically whittled it down to 20 tunes um and it was, it was a debate amongst me and, and Jules and, and Chris Wheeler, who runs the Heritage Orchestra, um, really getting into the kind of obvious things of what tracks would actually orchestrate the best. So, you know, dance music history is littered with many tracks that reference orchestras or play play orchestral parts even though they're not played by real orchestras or sample orchestras so um they were the mainstay ones a good example being right here right now fat boy slim sampled that orchestra part and we were able to replay it so that first batch was largely based on that and and it started to think about you know what tracks would have impact in the room and then the other the other factor that came into it is i really wanted to know to reflect the full Ibiza experience so I didn't just want it to be about you know jump up and dance tunes I wanted to to have more the sunset story in in the show as well hence why we were doing tracks like um Belfast by Orbital and Porcelain by Moby and and Rachel's song even which might take a few people by surprise but was was a Vangelis track from Blade Runner but was a was a seminal kind of sunset tune that DJs were playing so
0: when you think about I think your average person who would see the head Electronic music, but with a classical orchestra, it would be kind of a disconnect. But I mean, whether it's people like BT or Hybrid uh, are guys that I can think of that have really championed orchestral arrangements um, in electronic music. Talk a little bit, if you can,
7: about just electronic music history with orchestral arrangements. Well, one one take on it is certainly the fact that um, historically, you know, you go back to the days of disco when... when, the record business was a whole different animal and, and the value in, in recorded music was so much higher. You know, the disco era, the, the accessibility to orchestras was was a given. So, you know, the, the, we wouldn't have disco without orchestras. I mean, the South Soul Orchestra, all all the studios down in Florida that were, were, were making those records, like the TK label and stuff like that, you know, right, right through to the kind of Barry White, exper- you know, working with the Love Unlimited Orchestra. So I think orchestras and, and disco was was hand in hand. And, um, it, it was really after disco was kind of thrown out, particularly in America, and became a dirty word when kind of house music started kind of rose back up almost 10 years later um through through the inner cities and and more the kind of underground world of Chicago and New York new technology at the time was was you know the first Roland drum machines those early synthesizers and they had um string patches on on the on the on the keyboards and you know those people you know a lot of one finger wizardry a lot of people making it up as they went along because you know these all those early records um on DJ International and tracks and those early labels in Chicago were, were quite often. It was the first time you were hearing the technology, as, as well as the first time you were hearing house music. And a lot of those records were tributes to back in the day. You know, like Farley Jack, Master Funk, um, J M Silk. Music is the key. Um, Joe Smooth, Promised Land. They were a homage to a to, a, to an era. 10 15 years before um, and they could they couldn't get an orchestra so they were they, they were writing orchestral parts on on left or right hand um so those are the really interesting tunes to go back to and and see how they um they obviously transform quite well i mean and then you know obviously looking at detroit and techno the tracks like strings of life and "Nights of the jaguar um, which came a little bit later were fully blown, you know, attempts to do orchestral pieces, but do, they were doing with samples. So um, there's a lot of an awful lot of crossover between, you know, the, the, you know there's, there's a natural link. But I don't think the people that wrote those tunes at that time ever, well, they could have dreamt that they were going to be played by an orchestra.
0: Uh, you, as a selector, and as someone who kind of helps plot the course of where popular music goes, the success and the popularity of this project in an era right now where you've either got you're either in, on the tail end of the EDM swell or you're on the, the forefront of the kind of techno deep house the orchestral part the arrangements those classics what does the popularity of this project to you
7: say about where maybe popular taste in electronic music is going I think one of one things that one of the things I wanted to set out and do with this was um I think to a certain extent all you know a lot of people in 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 dance music, in dance music history, electronic music history, we, we all still have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder about not getting taken seriously by the kind of rock and roll elite, the mainstream, the found, you know, I just think on a, on a musical critique level, we, we sometimes feel we're not, you know, necessarily thought of in the same way as we should be. So for me, performing these songs in this way just adds gravitas to the history. You know, to see good life being played by you know, Inner Cities tune by 65-piece um, orchestra or, or Strings of Life or, you know, um, Café Del Mar, Energy 52. To see these, these amazing tracks played by an orchestra gives, I think it it, it, it proves something. It, it adds gravitas to, to how important these records were. I've said before that um, you know, everybody can tell stories about the Beatles and the Rolling Stones of how important that, that music was to, to a certain sector of the society growing up. Well, the songs I'm performing here were the soundtracks to people's lives that were going to clubs at that time. Um, and that's initially who we tapped into. It was like that generation, you know, maybe that hadn't re- really been going out for the last... You know as they get older get families get kids get jobs you know and their and their their clubbing days are beyond them but they still love the music and they never stop loving the music and they never stop finding and listening to music so there was definitely a, a massive connect um in the uk when we did it at the beginning with with that kind of demographic and i think then the new audience is just like well they've only ever seen a DJ stand behind turntables so there's so much in- interest stimulated around the whole world of electronic music and the performances and the festivals and the DJs and everything like that people are kind of it's, it's a mature market now isn't it? and that's that very much goes for America too. I mean, even if the the year zero in America, you take it just back to the EDM explosion in 2007 or 2008, that's already a 10-year-old mature market now. And so there is an... I think there's a real open-mindedness and desire to see something different. And that's been the real fun for me, taking the orchestra out to festivals because, you know, up to that point at the end of last year, we were a hard-ticket, you know, appointment to see. So people... You know they, they like the album or they like the concept and they wanted to come and see it. But when we've taken it to festivals, um, we're getting a whole new audience and it's and it's definitely skewered young. Actually, um, I've just we've just been playing in the you know we did four massive festivals in the UK, just did an Electric Picnic in Ireland and you're playing to 20-30,000 people. At least half of them are not the people that came to you know it's a younger audience. Some of them weren't probably even born by the time these tracks. But I think the fact they're seeing something different and it's there's nothing like an orchestra an orchestra is a an amazing thing to behold and i and i think that outside of the kind of movie score world you know it's not you know orchestras aren't you know necessarily exposed enough to 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 the younger generation
2: this is
8: wide awake stories hey this is cut snake
7: and you're listening to wide awake stories
9: and this is cut snake
5: (laughs)
8: I'm super looking forward to that
5: show. I don't know what tracks you're alluding to, mm-hmm. but I've seen YouTube videos and all the selections were outstanding. And plus the Hollywood Bowl, man. Yeah, it's
0: I mean, one of the most iconic venues in Los Angeles, if not the most iconic venue yeah. in LA. And the fall weather, it's going to be perfect. I'll be there. You're hooking up tickets? Uh, Yeah, whatever right. you need. I'm slanging them. Date night. Did you feel judged while you were talking to Pete? I didn't feel judged. I felt very self-conscious. <laughs> I mean, he is the the, the he's don the radio personality of radio, of radio yeah. Yeah. and I'm sitting there, and we had one microphone too. So I'm saying my, and then he's he's standing over there, and he's like, "Give me the mic." <laughs> <laughs> let um, me show you how it's done. Let me show you how it's done, son. I did feel pretty honored that he wanted to be on our podcast I mean he really has a prolific radio career and for him to give us a little bit of time was, was definitely special
1: you're tuned
2: in to wide awake stories
1: and if you would like to hear more amazing interviews like this be sure to link up with us on our socials insomniac.com on facebook twitter do we have instagram no
0: no negative
1: do not find us on instagram <laughs> visit our website insomniac.com And call us on the Rave Hotline. What is that number?
0: 310-818-9406. We're gonna go back-to-back English legends uh, right now on Wide Awake Stories, episode 13. I bopped on over to the Hollywood Standard downtown and uh, apologize for the, uh, the funky hotel music in the background of our interview, but I sat down with Phil and Paul Hartnell from Orbital, one of my favorite electronic music acts of all time. I still remember catching their community service tour Uh, with Crystal Method, but even before that, catching them at Organic in 96 on the ski slopes of the San Bernardino Mountains, and Rob was giving me the sad eyes because he missed that show that weekend. I've read about that show. It's legendary. It's legendary. So we talked about uh, them kind of reforming. You know, Many of you may not know they, as brothers do, had a a tough time um, in their relationship. They weren't speaking to one another for a really long time. And uh, Mended Fences got back together, produced a great track called Copenhagen, which is out now. And uh, they've been playing the festival circuit and the vibes have been really, really good between them. And I, th- I think you can hear that in the interview here with with the brothers, the legends, the rooftop of the Standard Hotel from Orbital. Hey guys. Hello. hello. You guys just had a show last night performed at the Electronic Music Awards. Tell me about that. How was that? That was
10: fantastic. It was really really good. It was like a great new concept you know like an award ceremony it's like this: if you give Paul Oakenfold the the job to do an award ceremony that's what you get. There's no awards like you know it's all like oh it was just great. So he represented like Detroit, Warnock, Coons, you know all these floor plan all these other people that some Moby and then you had all the the, the young the, the younger generation all them doing their shit on another stage you know it's fantastic award ceremony it was brilliant yeah it's good for like a a party to represent like some of the chunks of history through the electronic music it was really good really good really
11: nice to just sort of be back over here doing a gig you know it was a we just we just did a half an hour because it was a you know a, a special kind of gig but that was good great really nice to be back and playing again yeah.
10: and it was an important gig for us because it was it hooked in with Twitter and they were doing a live feed and there was some other people other streaming doing that and you could like look on the stream and you could choose which stage you go to you know so there's a lot of firsts and there's like you know 360 things going on but for us like we just got back together after uh, like version three we're on
0: now what? <laughs> orbital, orbital 3.
10: version three yeah
0: totally what was it like getting together and seeing some, uh, of, some of the old guard last night like seeing Moby there Oh, it was fan fantastic. Oh, then, it
11: was great. It was great. It's just like being on the Sea the Light tour in 93. <laughs> yeah, it was
10: fantastic. No, it was really good. It was so, really good.
0: But that show last night wasn't the first show that you guys have played. You've been touring in Europe, you've been touring in Asia. When you guys finally reunited and got back together and played that first festival, what was the energy like, not, not only in the crowd, but what was the energy like and in the, in the, the chemistry like between the two of you guys, behind all the equipment?
10: That's great, wouldn't it? Good fun. But it was a bit—it was a bit like because we haven't um, even spoken to each other for about four or five years, and then playing live, and you know, we got into a a bit of a barrier with our relationship. You know, that sort of cycle, and you know. and it's like oh you know we don't know how to fix it you know what I mean and so and playing live was important but it was like oh I don't know how this is going to be how is it going to be and and for me it's important that we really enjoy it we really get, get back to where we first started and we, how we with gay abandon is our favourite word at the moment you know it's brilliant you know and it was like that and to, for us to enjoy playing together because you know and, and it was really like and as the summer's grown and we've been doing it more and more it's really like really does feel like for me it feels like we're just like yeah And, and when we're like that we're in the groove it just gets better and better to me, anyway, yeah,
0: I'm
10: just nodding on yeah. the radio. It yeah, great. I hope you agree. <laughs> um,
0: you just said we didn't know how to fix it, so I guess yeah. maybe let's back up for the people that might not be familiar and let them know what was broken to begin with, and then how communication did you end
10: up it? was broken basically, and in, in, in presumption and sort of frustration and not knowing how to explain ourselves being boys and all that sort of thing. And not, you know, I just say, oh, well, that's for me, it just seemed to there was a wall there that oh, we don't know how to do this, so we sort of ran away. I gave up on Paul and, and, you know, and he gave up on me and, you know what I mean, and we gave up. And then... You know, and then time is a healer, and it's going. you know, I can't even I can't cope with it, so I've lost my brother, and then it just made all of the whole history of Orbital not worth it for me. I've lost my brother, what's that all about? Do you feel the same way about losing yeah, your brother? Yeah, no, it's great, you, you know,
11: it's like, uh, it, you you don't notice it, but you've got this terrible kind of grudge and this thing, this hole in your life, because it's bad falling out with, you know, with your family, because it just gnaws away at you. So, you know, we got, like Phil says, we have got two things back, we got our old job back, and we got our brother back, you know. Yeah, how's that?
10: Yeah, and this time for me, it, it's got to be, you know, because we have made albums, we've been working together. It's almost the elephant in the room, and we're sort of trying to put a brave face on it. But it's not really been enjoyable, and it's not been uh-huh. the chemistry, and we're sort of trying to make out this. Do you know what I mean? But retrospect is a wonderful thing, and this for me, this time it's got to be. Yeah. It's got to be that. You genuinely got to be that. Otherwise, I'm out. It's not worth it. I've got my brother back. I'm not what, talking uh, about getting out again already, are you? No, no, no I was just saying.
11: Did
0: that. Did, no, just, did yeah, I say that? Yeah, yeah. Did I say, did I say that out loud? Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, when I go back as a, as a fan and as a listener of albums, and I go back and I was I was I was talking to Paul about listening to uh, Middle of Nowhere, and that album had just amazing cohesion to it, and it felt like one, it, it, it felt like a union, right? Right, as an album. Then the yeah. Blue Album, which is also good, but in my opinion, the Blue Album didn't have the same kind of cohesion to it hmm. as Middle of Nowhere did. So I, as as a, Fan again. I'm curious to see what the next album is like because the energy between you is so good. I'm guessing that it's going to go back to that sort of musical cohesion as well. Well, well, yeah, it's funny to say that because, yeah,
10: I mean, the Blue Album's the Blue Album and it is your your little thing at the time, you know, but it's not, it it was that was when it was properly broken in our relationship, and I think that sort of comes through a little bit on that every now and again. I can see that, but. And yeah, in the middle of nowhere, we we're a little bit yeah. Middle of nowhere, it was a great album. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and then That's What do I, I say? Like, yeah, Tell that one because <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, one. Well, one key was a good one. That was a real kind of. Um, that, that was where we got back together, though, wasn't it? Again, wasn't it?
6: Yes.
10: And, and then, and then, and it was. We almost made it. Do you know what I mean? But there were still unsaid things that weren't. We didn't know what were unsaid or what they were. What was what was to be said? Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like not not knowing how to fix it. But we, that was a bit like putting on a brave face. But it was a little bit more. We gelled a little, a little bit more didn't me on that, but. But it wasn't. It wasn't like this. Like how we are now, in my opinion, how I feel.
0: So tell me, tell me about Wonky.
10: I mean, Wonky was really,
11: um, you know, we'd hit the ground running with two years' worth of, you know, two seasons' worth of festivals, and um, just wanted to sort of put together something that was that would uh, was made of stuff that we'd like to play live basically so that was the kind of idea behind that album it's very much you know not that we played all of it live but you know trying to do things that were going to sound good in a, in a live environment yeah. I don't think the next album's going to be like that I think there'll be elements of that like there always is but I think yeah, this is going to come more from like a story kind of vibe or so, do you know what I mean I think the next one's going to be more of a like you say like a cohesive
10: sort yeah. of solid piece right, of work like the be middle be of enjoyable. nowhere yeah, it's going to be enjoyable making it otherwise it ain't going to happen
0: which be frightening for people like us who when you when you say story long track I mean that's not the musical environment that we're in anymore it's, so we've especially, never with, been in especially environment. dance music we, yeah, where I mean we were talking at work the other day about the, the art of the warm up DJ because you get bangers at 8pm now before you used to get bangers at like right, 1, 2am right. morning the yeah, morning. No, DJ, DJ comes you know. in and it's, uh, right into no, it. That's not right then. but the music of someone like the DJing of someone like Sasha he builds and builds and yeah. builds the music of someone like Orbital, where, where tracks blend in, and there's no three-minute single with a big. Where's the drop? Where's the yeah, drop? Yeah. Knowing that you guys are going to go back to, to, to doing that magic that you do, do you just fly in the face of what's of all the stuff that's popular? You just do. You know, we're going to do what we do, and and how it's going to come out, it's, it's going to come out. Yeah,
11: yes, absolutely. I mean, I think the only thing that, that is, could be different is I don't think you know back in the day we were making sort like 78-minute. Albums because that was the you know CDs with the new format and that's kind of what you did but I think those albums were too long I'm, I'm a real the fan CD of the, the 45 the fill minute fill album space yeah yeah of course you do young was, and yeah, enthusiastic and excited yeah. excitable but actually I think 45 minutes is a better kind of listening experience you know well you know it's not you know it what but, it's what it's going to be do you know yeah of course uh, but I kind but of you know part of part, you know part of doing doing music is kind of for me, yeah, yeah, more. but it's a time-based medium, isn't it? You know, so I kind of like to think about the the, the package that is coming in. You know, uh, you know, is it going to be concise? I mean, some of my favorite albums I've been listening to recently. I was just listening to Exit by Tangerine Dream, and I was amazed to discover it's, it's under forty
10: minutes. But this is what we were saying about writing an album. We're old school. We're old school, so we, we look at albums, you know, in a, in a in a like a DJ set, like oh and then we go up here and. Then We go down there and we can place, you know, even their individual songs, you can place them in a way where you listen to it from beginning to end, like an old school vinyl type vibe. But now it's almost irrelevant because people put it on shuffle, you know what what I mean? But that's that's okay. But this is how you can still do We still think in the design of uh, an album and maybe, but that, I don't know. I'm going to join lots of the tracks together just so it annoys people when they put it on shuffle. Okay,
11: yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Have you guys thought about collaborating with anyone for this record? Are you just going to kind of stick? To the well, we just that you open. I now. think at
10: the moment. I mean, I, I did. We 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 uh, we did a really good festival called Blue Dot. Really interesting festival up in. Uh, it's at the Jodrell Bank, which is an observatory, uh, first radio observatory. You've got this big radio observatory uh, telescope, and they do sort of like seminars during the day of science and all that sort of thing. And Goldfrapp was playing there, and she's like, "Oh, hello, you know, Alison, I love her to death," and she's like, "And she's, you know, she's featured on a lot." Of of our tracks uh, you know and uh, and that was the idea i'd love to do a track, but for me i'd love to do you know when we start something uh, and like a, a track will appear and go Fuck, wait a minute and then that's uh, she doesn't know this yet by the way <laughs> you know, when the tracker appear and go like oh we need alison for that do you know what i mean I'd love to. That's, yeah, I'd love to think about. Yeah, um,
11: when you, oh, I was talking to um, a Brighton-based band as well called the Slaves. Um, they, you know, oh, yeah, they were yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. coming in and just, you know, we don't know if it'll work, but we're gonna, we're just gonna try something out. Just to have, have a like
10: old punk, old school punk sort yeah. of vibe.
11: in young men's bodies. They are. They are. <laughs>
0: great. It's great. You, uh, is your studio now? Because I know that you both have separate studios, separate no, houses. I don't have, no, we got, have got one studio? No, I don't. I
10: didn't have a studio anymore. So, well, yeah, just, I've. I'm go. back to under the stairs. Go to Paul's house. Yeah, I do. Go to Paul's house. No, no, he's, no he, 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 uh, go, go, go. Uh, no the, almost the first week I thought it was really sweet got some keys cut for me for the studio which was a really lovely gesture fantastic yeah, it was it was <laughs> still regretting it
0: This <laughs> brought his toothbrush and tooth, toothpaste over to put in the no bathroom? chance what was that what was that I missed the
10: quick is the toothbrush over at the bathroom yet no, no. no not really
0: no <laughs> <laughs> not like you, you steady on pigeon steps <laughs> um, so I was in the office and I was playing on my speakers Halcyon and i was playing the live version off of insides and it got to the belinda our, our favorite part belinda carlisle uh bon jovi portion of the of the entertainment and and people started wandering in from from outside and i work with a lot of people who are let's say just younger than i am yeah and they walked in and they were like what the hell is this i know this track but is, is this who remixed it i was like no one remixed it Telling so you. long Telling story you. short What's well, what, in twenty seventeen? You guys have to, you got to bring back some sort of remix concoction or something. I mean, that was a stroke of genius. And, well, and, yeah, that, that worked but well. That news. was that was a I mean, yeah because we kept,
10: we kept that very live and that was a yeah. live joke and our very nerdy fans and you know the train it got you know some of them went with it and some of them were really upset about it. Going, yeah. well, you know, well, my God, it's not. Pure. What the fuck are you doing? And it's funny because now we've gone round again as another generation came through and that's what Belinda. That, Sort of stuff. I was at a party, I'm not even joking, and like 16 to 25-year-olds playing all that stuff. And they'd, like, they'd sing it away, and they'd like sing it all, the, all the... It's like, how the fuck do you even know these, these, uh, the words to these songs? Paul, Paul was laughing earlier, why were why, why, why you... Was I? Was I laughing? No. <laughs> he gave you a little bit of nudge like, no, like I you guys that have nuts. had this
0: conversation before and this
7: is an I told you a so moment.
10: No, I don't, <laughs> know. I don't think so. Well, that's too deep. Um. No, so yeah, but, no, but I know what you mean. And then the Belinda Carlisle thing, because we played a lot of festivals this year. And the youngsters, they love that bit because no, they're playing that stuff. Do you know what I yeah. mean? I mean, I never really liked it at the time, but I don't know what you're doing here. So,
0: no. Well, Let you your this. parents. <laughs> as as elder statesmen in this business, and as guys who have been through the ringer, divorced and remarried a few times together musically, um, you said earlier we didn't know how to fix it. Well, you fixed it. How did you fix it? And, and how do you keep? How do you keep Well, it we going? fixed it by trying it again
10: and giving it one last shot. In my opinion, that was it. You know, and, and this year was that. And it's just like, well, we're at stage. I can see how Paul is. I've I've been trying to. Uh, you know, like not have. I'm quite knee-jerky reaction, and so I've tried to be calm, Mister White. It's like my event my, Steph, my white, Mister <laughs> White. I've, I've been trying to like just like listen because I'm not a very good listener sometimes. Listen to what Paul's saying and not just quickly, you know, just take it in yeah. and just take it slowly and just do it in a non-emotional way, you know. And, Paul's, hat, and Paul's learning to be more uh, patient uh, with and Paul's, you. I have the patience of a saint now.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know where he got it
10: from, but I'm loving it. I'm
11: not
4: going to question it. Wide Awake Stories. Transmitting from the Insomniac HQ.
0: You guys can't see this because obviously it's not a video interview, but like th- they are brothers through and through you know one has a very kind of outgoing personality phil this is just very talkative and and paul is very kind of understated very mellow um but i mean very very happy to be back in in, in a good place with his brother
1: uh, rich i just loved the story about all of the the younger insomniac employees wandering into your office and being schooled on that uh, live recording of halcyon yeah. I just like pictured you like Yoda in your cave and these little like Luke Skywalkers coming in
0: it was a little moment we had some people walking yeah I wandered in, and- in just you know like the Pied Piper of Hamlin <laughs> <laughs> <Fuck>. well <What? laughs> I'm
2: old. Sam, are you recovered from Nocturnal Wonderland? I had a blast. Uh, It was probably my, I want to say, 11th Nocturnal straight. Wow. Wow. For those of you who went, you probably noticed that we went the boutique direction. And it played out really well. There was a a nice, intimate vibe. I felt the stages
0: were more like physically and like emotionally on the same level as our
2: headliners. Like there was a lot of kind of give and take with the vibes. Most of my time was spent at the top of the hill where the sunken garden was. On day two, This Ain't Bristol came in for a label takeover, so Billy Kenny, Maxi Mono, Teed, and a whole gang of others were ripping the stage. Uh, Everyone was really on top of their game. And they did something special at the end too, right? Like a super, super mashup. Yeah, there was uh, the Good Vibes Sound Clash, which the first time they actually pulled off this concept, everyone that was on the stage earlier throughout the day came back and they did a a back-to-back-to-back set playing just throwback tunes, uh, left of center, house music, disco, you name it. But when I wasn't hanging out at the stage, I was roaming around, trying to lock down as many artists as possible to hear about their first DJ gig.
3: My first time playing in front of more than the people in mine or a friend's bedroom was actually at a friend's 17th birthday party. I was 16 and it was probably my fourth experience in using CDJs too. It went well from what I can remember but I'm pretty sure if I relived it now I'd cringe into next week. I remember spending the whole day finding lots of fidget tracks because my friend whose birthday it was loved fidget house and I was just getting into it at the time. I was mainly into spinning speed garage, grime and then a little bit of house too. I was shitting bricks, am I allowed to swear? (laughs) I do remember shaking for the first five, maybe, yeah, five to ten minutes until I got into the swing of things though. I remember a lot of friends coming to support and there being a few told that they couldn't come in because none of us really understood the concept of a guest list at the time. Funny because guest list is a word that I now use at least five times a week. I remember my first mix being really wonky and me thinking, that's it, this is gonna be awful, but yeah, once I got into the swing of it, it felt natural. I'm positive that they weren't immaculate mixes, but I definitely wasn't clanging any beats soon after me going on. I didn't play my first proper club show until about 10 months after that, which was pretty much the exact same ordeal, but on a bigger scale. I was asked to DJ based on my productions, as a lot of producers at the time were, and so many of us didn't really know how to DJ. We just beat matched and did the best we could with our EQing. The best lesson I learned was to get out of a mistake so fast that only a few industry people or DJs may notice, if that. I do remember around the time that I moved to Germany around three years ago. My stage presence completely changed and I was confident enough to do whatever I wanted with my hands, face and body language whilst playing. I think becoming successful in your hometown will always be hard because more people know you personally and people either get jealous, don't see you for the talent you are and many other reasons. All of this definitely came over time but even if I was told these things without learning myself I doubt I'd have really listened. My name is Billy Kenny, and I'd like to thank you guys for having me.
12: Hey guys, Will Clark here. Hope you're doing well. So I decided I wanted to be a DJ when I was nine. I started to learn and teach myself. I went to a thing called the DJ Academy when I was 13 in Bristol. It was a school of, for people wanting to DJ, really. I think it was like a 12-week course. And then at the end of that course, uh, we all threw a night on the part. The course was to learn how to promote, etc, etc. So yeah, I was 13 and it was in Bristol in a place called Fiesta Havana. I actually got thrown out of the club on my first DJ set because obviously I was too young. But they let me back in and ended up playing. It was a good night. It was back when, we, when I, vinyl was everyone played vinyls so I literally knew everything all the cue points when to mix in when to mix out when to use your EQs and everything like that it was kind of a scientific or no not scientific like a mathematical thing for me then there's there was no like improvisation or anything like that it was literally just play the records and leave (laughs) I was so nervous. I know I was shitting my pants. Getting up on stage for the first time. All I remember is being super nervous but also really excited as well. It's kind of like the start of something and I knew it would be the start of something just purely because I knew what I wanted to do for a living. The crowd reaction when I um, was first playing, I think I had like majority of my family there, all my brothers and sisters friends. I think my school teacher came along actually, which is dope, she was was a good teacher. The one thing that I kind of learned from my first DJ set was practice is key. There's nothing worse than going on stage and you don't know the records that you're playing, or you're not confident in mixing, or you're not confident on reading a crowd. But the key thing for me it was to learn to be able to mix without thinking about it. And then from being able to mix without thinking about it, it turns to then being able to read a crowd, which then means you can choose a record on what you think the crowd is going to respond well to and then you can learn how to take a crowd on a journey and like go from different kind of genres in the genre that you play. So you're kind of just taking the crowd on like a super nice journey, but without them even knowing. Also, I ended up moving on to residencies in Ibiza when I was pretty young from like the age of 17 residencies made me so confident as a DJ it allowed me to completely understand how to read a crowd understand how to mix because I was playing like 8 to 12 hours a day seven days a week I learned my records by heart I knew when the breakdowns start and things like that so I think doing a residency is what everyone should do learning how to warm up for like big headline acts. You can always tell when a DJ goes f- from not learning to DJ to writing a massive track, and then they're kind of put straight into the DJ world. Um, You can tell there's amazing DJs out there and there's amazing producers that aren't amazing DJs. I think the key is, is if you want to become a, a good DJ, you just have to put the hours in, just like being a good producer and practice and practice and practice. Big love, guys. Don't forget to check out my radio show on EDC Radio, The Barber Shop. My name's Will Clark and I'll see you very soon.
9: I don't know how official it was, but it was. we started playing a bunch of uh, house parties. We were never trying to be like big DJs or anything. We- yeah, we used to just get everyone around basically to our house
8: and fucking DJ. And but then- S-
9: Stevie Dre was managing yeah. us at the time. Stevie- I don't even know why, we were
8: just. We, we hadn't even played a gig yet, but he was managing us. Well, because he's a surf groupie, so he wanted to be around <laughs> surfers at the time. So he used to come and hang with us. But basically, he booked us at this gig and, and uh, the surf tour was in town. All our mates from Australia were in town and basically we got a bus of like 50 of the boys to come down to San Diego and watch us on the decks. We, we get to the, the nightclub, we have never played a show before and we're like, so where are we playing? And there was this big neon screen and he goes, you're playing behind that. And we're like, oh, that's kind of weird. Why are, we, why are we behind that? He's like, oh, well, I don't have a license for a DJ. So like, We played our first set behind a fucking screen. No one could even see us. <laughs> yeah. So the boys rock up, and we're already behind this <coughs> LED screen and we start busting out. Basically, I go at the front of the of the club. I look around. I'm like, "You guys having fun? Like, what's going on? Is it Is all anyone weird? getting any girls or? What, yeah, kind of like that. And <laughs> as I said that, this guy on the mic goes. At the time, we we're called bareback DJs. And uh, <laughs> basically, this guy gets on the mic and he goes, "Give it up for bareback DJs!" Woo! And all of a sudden, I look around and there's just gay people just passion each other off. And all my mates were in the corner just going, are you fucking kidding? <laughs> Pretty much. That's basically it, really. Yeah, well, we didn't realise,
9: which is not even a problem, but we, our first gig was in a gay bar and we were called Bareback DJs and we were like <laughs> this highlight standing behind a LED wall that no one could even see us. Yeah, it was kind of weird. I remember all the boys, were kind of, we were, I remember we'd egged them on too, like, let's go, come on, come and support the boys, have a hell night, try to pull some chicks or whatever down in town, but it, yeah, it nah, didn't I end up like that. But it
8: was... It was pretty of, funny. They got a couple of ass grabs. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a good it was a good vibe, and we. Uh, but I know no, I just pretty much want to say yeah, like fucking. It was a good time though. Stevie Dreyer, he uh, he got fired pretty much straight after that gig. <laughs>
9: <laughs> that was good. That was good. Actually, when we were called Bareback, we almost got a bunch of residencies actually at some gay
8: bars. Yeah, that's the thing. It was. I kind of much... wish we fucking got them because they party the hardest. I think we should have kept those actually, to be honest. They were pretty good at the time. Yeah, Bareback DJs. That was our first name and now a cut snake. Bareback DJs pretty much came around because Sed's had a sign in his, in his room in... <laughs> underneath the decks and it was an, an ostrich neck and it said, think before you bareback. Because <laughs> he used to bring... <laughs> 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 we'll leave the rest of the
2: <laughs>
8: Oh, fuck. Our bareback career was probably my favorite of it all, I reckon. Like, we went out one time. This is probably the second show. And yeah. we, we, we used to love Richie Horn and shit like that. I remember. This one was like more built up. Like, people, yeah. there was like a flyer and stuff for this one. Like, bareback DJs come <coughs> to town and so on. So we we're like, we, at the time, we seen Richie Haunt was like using Tractor, and we we're like, we've got to get Tractor. It's the coolest show ever. Yeah. Use your laptop. We went out and bought it that day, I reckon. Yeah. And we set this fucking thing up in the club and we had to play every song backwards. Yeah, we didn't set it up right. We set all the chords up
9: backwards so we couldn't figure it out. And the screen on the computer, because like when we were trying to DJ like from the lappy to the CDJs, everything was going backwards. The yeah.
8: music was going forwards. So every time you wanted to go forward on a track, <laughs> you'd have to go back. Backwards.
9: If everything if was in reverse. you have to go forward. And we played like four four tunes, I reckon. Reckon, and we kind of we bombed. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy that was booking us was like, "You guys need to get the fuck off right
0: now."
4: This is wide awake stories.
0: Yeah, those guys are pretty nuts. I mean, all it takes is one follow of their Instagram to know how nutty they are.
5: Have you ever heard an Australian talk that you didn't want to party with?
0: No, not at all. No. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You guys want to get a hold of us? You can find us on Twitter at insomniac.com, on Facebook at the same, Insomniac D O T C O M. Or you can hit us up on the Rave Hotline, 310 818 9406. Call us up, tell us about your first DJ gig, tell us about your first club experience, tell us about the time that uh, you had a falling out with your sibling and uh, patched things up and then went on to tour the world. (laughs) That's very specific.
1: You gotta be specific. Things not to call us about. Ticket on sales. <laughs> yeah,
7: true.
0: But don't call us up and ask about when the lineup for EDC Vegas is getting <laughs> released. Call us up. Say what's up. Tell us a great story. Tell us a funny story. Tell us a sad story. We want to hear your stories. Your stories are what make this show what it is.
1: So that is it for this episode. And we will catch you next month for Ep 14 when we'll be talking a lot about Escape, which will have just happened. Tune in next month for a new episode of Wide Awake Stories.